0: Raise your hand if you've been to the Cheesecake Factory. Raise your hand if you wish you have been to the Cheesecake Factory. Raise your hand if you think that I have clearly been to the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) (laughs) Let me take a few guesses. How many options can you uh, indulge in at the Cheesecake Factory? That is, how many dishes do they make? Take a guess. 50? Not 50, not 150, but 250 dishes made fresh daily, according to their website. It's like an encyclopedia, their menu, right? Have you been there? Like, wow. Right? 250. And you think that's a lot and then you realize that Starbucks makes quite a boast about how many different options there are when you order a Starbucks drink. Does anybody know what they boast is the number of ordering options at Starbucks? Someone just throw throw out a number. 300. Close, not really. Any more? You gotta be like some of the engineers should be doing like that statistic thing right now. Like so and so did the third power of the times of the sigma alpha cosine tangent. (laughs) It's kind of been a while. Two plus two, I'm still there. Eighty thousand options. Look it up, man. Google that sucker. It's there. Eighty thousand different ways, different Ordering options, like what we will say first, second, third, what you'll uh, kind of milk, and the size, and the 80,000 options. That's a lot. That's a lot of options, right? We like that. We like options. We like choice. Take your pick. Not just in restaurants, not just in coffee shops. But across the landscape of religion, we like options. right? We conclude, at the end of the day, it's really all the same. That no one claim or truth or God is any different than any other. They all lead to the same place. You think uh, that's an overstatement? Recognize this, that eight years ago, the Pew Forum people did a survey, and they found that 65% of Americans believe that many paths lead to eternal life. That was eight years ago. And then you think, well, okay, that's America, but what about the church? 37% of white evangelicals, the group that's most likely to hold to an exclusive view, that there's only one way. 37% of white evangelicals claimed that many paths lead to eternal life. It's all the same. No one faith claim, no one God stands out any taller, any more glorious, any greater than any other. That's the world, the global context in which we live. Am I overstating it? No. And yet, the author of Hebrews has been telling us that we should pay much closer attention to what we have heard. That is, God is spoken in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, He is superior to all things, He is the only one that has saved us from our sins and therefore give us a pathway to eternal life. That's what the author of Hebrews has said, therefore pay close attention to Jesus. But with all these options, why should you? He goes on to say in verse 4 of chapter 2, we should not neglect. Such a great salvation. That as our attention, the focus of our life should be on following Jesus and trusting in Him for such a great salvation. Why? Well, the author of Hebrews already gave us a reason which was talked about last week. He said that if you do not give heed to the Word of God, you will suffer under the hand of the wrath of God. That is, if you do not heed His Word in Christ, and if you neglect His salvation, that you will suffer under the hand of God's just wrath. That's a compelling reason to stay closely focused on following Jesus, is it not? But guess what? It's not the only reason He gives us. Hebrews 2, verses 5-18 through Please grab your Bibles, follow along with me, and let's continue to see additional reasoning. He's reasoning with us. He recognizes the voices that we hear in the world. He understands the pull away is strong from God. And He wants to give us great reasoning. He wants to plead with us as the people of God. Plead with us as a sinful lost world and say, Don't take your attention off My Son. Don't neglect My great salvation. And here's more reason. Verse 5 of chapter 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. And at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He had to be made like His brothers in every respect. So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the Word of God. And all of God's people said... Amen. Does that sound like a lot or what? Whew, it is a lot. The author of Hebrews is pleading with us, arguing with us. Please. He's given us great reason. Now imagine you're sitting on your couch and you hear a knock at the door. And you come to the door, and you see this really professionally, formally dressed dude standing there. And he says something very simple to you. He says, you have a gift. Okay. From the president. Oh, I have a gift from the president. The president of what? The president of the AARP, the president of the Underwater Basket Weaving Association of America, you have a gift from the president president of Chick-fil-A? I know you love Chick-fil-A. See, having a gift is one thing, but having a gift from the president all of a sudden changes the equation. It raises the level of Potential it raises the level of awareness. It draws our attention in and if you were to say uh, You have a gift from the president of the United States of America No matter where you fall on the political scale you understand that to have a gift from the president of the United States of America Is to have a gift from the most powerful man in the world And to have a gift from the most powerful man or position in the world is to have something of great significance. That to not just have a gift, but to have a gift from the most powerful person in the world changes the way that you receive or approach that gift. See, I think one of the reasons that is very clear that the author of Hebrews is trying to just put in our skull, in our mentality, is that we should not neglect such a great salvation. We should not neglect such a gift. We should be fully focused on following what He has said in Christ on the basis of the glory of who has accomplished it. Jesus. Look at what He says. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Then He quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor. That we have received salvation from the one that God has subjected the world to come to. That is, the new creation, all of the promises of the new creation, all that God is doing in the world, all that is and all that will be, is in complete submission, and subjection to Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. That God is putting all things in the world to come in subjection to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that. We see Him for a little while lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. He's crowned with glory and honor. And so we should not neglect such a great salvation because of the glory of the One who has accomplished it for us. Jesus is the one to whom all things in the world to come are being subjected to his feet. That's who is giving us this salvation. Jesus is the one that is superior to angels. That's what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews has been arguing with us. We're not just talking about some other generous person. We're talking about the one who is superior to To all things, that all things are placed in subjection to. The one that wears the very crown of God, Jesus, is crowned with glory and honor. There's only one of those crowns. And Jesus wears it. The Father has seen who He is and responded to His effective work and said, You are my chosen King all things will be made subjected to your feet. Everything, every person, every life, every eternity is placed in subjection to Jesus. And this King, this ruler, this sovereign power is the very one who has given and accomplished your salvation. Just think about that. So we should not neglect such a gift of salvation on the sheer basis of who has accomplished it for us. And by the way, we're just scratching the surface on that point. And by the way, expect me to scratch the surface a lot today, lest we be here past the Steelers-Eagles game. Okay? Alright? But I want you to see that the glory of the one who has accomplished your salvation, the very king of the universe, God himself the Son of God, superior to angels, the one that all things in the world to come have been made subject to and is submitted to is the very one that came and accomplished your salvation. How can we neglect such a salvation that was accomplished by such a Savior? We must not Neglect such a great salvation because of the glory of the One who has accomplished it. You see, you see a lot of teaching about don't think angels are more than what they are. See Jesus for all that He is. Don't take your attention off of Him. If there, probably many of us in the room are not really struggling with angel worship. But I would think all of us have a hard time truly having an accurate estimation of the glory and greatness of Jesus in relationship to something else. Jesus far surpasses and is far superior to anything and everything else throughout all eternity. And He is the one that has given us and accomplished this salvation. We should stick our eyes and fix our attention Upon Him and Him alone. But not only that. We must not neglect such a great salvation from God. Because of the glory of how Jesus accomplished our salvation. Have you thought recently. In depth about how did Jesus save me. I think the simple, quick answer is correct. But I think, sadly enough, while we say the correct things, we say it with a superficial attachment to it, a superficial understanding of it. And I wonder if our attention is off of the salvation that is in Christ because of that. And that if we truly. Begin to contemplate and see in increasing ways. The way in which Christ has accomplished our salvation. The glory that is in that thought. How did Jesus do this? That our attention would be fixated upon it. Because it is so wondrous. It is so beautiful. It is so unthinkably uh, wonderful. It's this. He accomplished our salvation by becoming like us. By a little, for just a little while, he was made lower than the angels. Psalm eight, the fulfillment of Psalm eight. He, he left glory. He stripped himself of the totality of his glory that he knew throughout all eternity. And he entered into human history and became like us and took on our human frailty. And that is central. That is foundational to our salvation. If there is no incarnation, if God doesn't become like us, there is no saving of us. What we celebrate on Christmas is not just some fun little cute birthday party, it's it's the realization that salvation is imminent. God is here. That He has taken on human form. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Look at verse 17. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect. God becoming a man is of absolute necessity to our salvation. Therefore, we should... in the fact that Jesus has done this means that we should never turn our attention away from Him. He is the only God become man. We should not turn our attention to any other man, to any other thing, to any other person, to any other uh, proposed salvation. But it is in the person of Jesus, who was God, who became man, Who took on, as what verse 14 says, He partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood. He saved us by becoming like us. Marcus Peter Johnson says this, Without the incarnation, that is, without the Son of God, truly assuming our flesh and blood humanity, the death and resurrection of Jesus would be unreal and merely hypothetical. I think for us, salvation is often unreal, impersonal, and hypothetical and very abstract. But what he says is this. Salvation would, mean, would remain in the abstract, he says, unless he bore our humanity in all that he did, why would we believe that Christ is our our savior personal vital organic real He is our savior the savior of men and women and children people because he became like us the incarnation is central to our salvation and it's talked about throughout this whole passage he was made a little while lower than the angels But we see Him. Verse 14, He shares in flesh and blood. Verse 17, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect. But not only that, Jesus accomplished our salvation, not just in His incarnation, but also in His suffering and death. And that is all over this passage. And then you begin to realize, that seems kind of odd. So you're telling me that I should take my attention off of Jesus because He died. I'm sorry, not take my attention off of Jesus because He died. That His glory is undiminishable and and beyond everybody else because of His death. That seems very odd. Why is there a cross hanging in all of gospel believing churches? Why is it celebrated every week? What's the deal? Why are we so so much emphasizing His death? You see it doesn't make sense to the Jews of this day. They had no palate for any sweetness in any sacrificial death. Like, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. That if you are crucified, you are cursed by God. And so for the Christians of that day to be teaching and preaching about the the sacrificial death of their Savior, that this is the glory of God revealed to the world. And this is how you get back to glory that you've fallen from in sin, through a death that was just inconceivable and offensive to the Jew of that day. And that's what Hebrews is saying, right? Look at what he's saying. Verse 9, he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, he is the founder of their salvation. He was made perfect through what? Suffering. Verse 19, verse 18, For because He Himself has suffered, He saved us in His suffering and death. He saved us by becoming like us and dying for us. It's central to our understanding of salvation. If Jesus doesn't die, there is no salvation. Today we have a similar kind of thread running through the church. In the liberal and emergent church, we have people that can't imagine, they can't conceive of God the Father pouring out wrath on God the Son. That's just not a loving God. It's just not conceivable. And so there's much much attention being given to removing the, the penal, substitutionary, bloody massacre of the Son of God on a cross. Say, that's just, that's grotesque. That's That's weird. That's some sort of cosmic child abuse. Like, we can't conceive of a God who would do such a thing. Meaning, there's no glory in that kind of death and that kind of suffering. We hear that all the time today. And so what people want to do is reduce the glory of Jesus to being just a great man and a great teacher Who died and left us some principles to help us live better lives? Do you hear that? He's just a great man. He's a great teacher. But as we see here, he's so much more than that. And the reason that we should not turn our attention away from him is because of the glory of how he accomplished our salvation. He did so by becoming lower than the angels. He did so by being made like His brothers in every respect. By participating in flesh and blood. He did so through the incarnation. But we have to see that His incarnation. His perfect sinless life as a man. Led to His perfect sacrifice in our place. His death. His suffering. That really He has been glorified Because of His suffering. His glory is not diminished by His suffering. His glory is all the more highlighted and magnified because of His suffering. Do you see that? That is why you cannot turn your attention away from Jesus. Because even in His suffering and death, His glory is highlighted, it is magnified, it is not diminished in any way. And that is what makes Christianity, and that is what makes Christ stand taller, shine brighter, exist eternally as more superior than any other faith claim or God or being. Bill Hybels tells a story about one time he flew to New York City. He got in a cab and they started talking with the cab driver. And he has this thing that if he's with someone for more than ten minutes, he believes that God's put on his heart to start some sort of spiritual conversation. Not a bad idea. So he's in this spiritual conversation and finally the cab driver looks at Bill Hybels and says, listen, what makes Christianity any different than any other religion in the world? What makes it so valid in all the others invalid? You know what Bill Hybels said? He said, search any and all religions and you find me a God Who leaves glory. Who strips himself. Of all of that. Divine glory in heaven. That he'd enjoyed throughout all eternity. Who takes on human form. Who enters into. The experience of sinful frail humanity. In such a way. That he would one day. Die. On a cross. undeservedly, So that they might. Be brought back to the glory that he once knew and enjoyed. Find a religion where God absorbs and assumes the punishment for the people's disobedience. You see that's what makes Christianity stand out. That's what makes Jesus far superior. The claim... And the reality that Christ took on human flesh and he died and suffered for sinful humanity. I think Bill Heibel hit it square on the nose. Jesus' glory is incomparable. It's undiminishable. I hope we're beginning to see that in this series. I hope we're beginning to look below the surface that this Jesus is so much more than we give Him credit for. And that our fixation is on Him and on following and obeying His ways. The glory of the one who accomplished it the glory of the way he accomplished it. And we cannot miss the glory. Of what. His death accomplished. And this next five minutes. Is going to feel like an oozy machine gun. Of very heavy truths. And you know what. Part of me feels bad. That you're about to get the mazy machine gun. But let me just be clear. Hebrews is heavy. It is eloquent. I get the feeling that the author wants us to be overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus in a way that keeps our attention and allegiance on Him. Not an overwhelming uh, that makes us run from Him, but an overwhelming that makes us see His wonder and His beauty and His glory. We can't take our eyes off Look at what his death accomplished. Like I said, it's weird to celebrate a death. It's just weird. Everybody dies. Why do we celebrate and look to a symbol like a cross? Why do we incessantly talk about death? Seems kind of morbid. Everybody dies. What is it about the death of Jesus That is unique and stands taller above every other death that has occurred. Look at what the Scriptures teach. In His suffering and death, Jesus pioneered for us a pathway to glory. Look at what verse 10 says. For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Isn't that amazing? He's crowned Jesus with glory in such a way that He's now bringing many sons to glory. He's bringing a whole family to glory. He doesn't just have glory, He shares glory. And that is only shareable. It is only shared because of what? He should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That in His suffering and in His death, Jesus pioneered. He led the way. He was the first one. He went into enemy territory first on our behalf. And He defeated them. He pioneered a pathway for us to glory. That's what the suffering and death of Jesus did. Have you considered the path Christ paved for you? To glory. His death and His suffering means that the children of God are sanctified. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of the same source. You see, in his death, he sanctified the children of God. That simply means this. He set them apart in a holy way as God's very own. God took a claim on these sons and daughters in his family. He set them apart as holy. No death, no sanctification. The death of Jesus meant that we would be set apart... As God's very own children. There's no other event. There's no other person. There's no other means. There's no other way. For us to claim. We are the children of God. Other than. The sanctifying. Setting apart work. Of Christ. In his suffering and death. Jesus calls us brothers. Do you hear that? Because of the suffering of death. And us appropriating that death by faith. Guess what? He is not ashamed to look at each and every one of us. And call us siblings in the family of God. He's not ashamed to look at you and say. That's my brother. That's my sister. They're a part of our family. That's because of the suffering and death of Jesus. Applied to you. He's called you brothers. I don't know what you think Jesus is uh, thinking when He looks at you or sees you. I know so many times we look in the mirror and we have a a, a distorted view, a, a, a distorted image of who we are, whether good nor bad, prideful nor pitiful. But understand this, when Christ looks at the children of God, He says, those are my brothers, those are my sisters. No matter how far sin has taken us. If we have been included into the family of God. He looks at every one of us eternally and says. There's my family. That's because of his suffering and death. Can you claim such a promise? Listen to this one. Talk about scratching the surface. It is in his suffering and death that he destroyed the devil. Period. The enemy of God, the deceiver, the one that prowls around like a roaring seek lion, seeking whom he may devour. The accuser, destroyed by the suffering and death of Christ. If you're a child of God, you are in no way, shape, or form vulnerable to a destroyed enemy. Amen. Jesus, when Shaquille O'Neal slammed dunk on Satan's head on the cross. Jesus destroyed the devil. Such hope for us. Who feel his grip. Who sense his temptation. And who lived in the fear of death. I talk to so many people who live in fear of dying. It's a bondage, really. Who every moment... uh, Live in just self protection, fear, anxiety. The thought of death just freaks them out. That's a bondage. You can't really live if you're always afraid of dying, right? But see, what Christ has accomplished in his suffering and death does this. Look what it says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That the death and suffering of Christ sets us free from the fear of death. We do not have to be afraid of dying. Because guess what? We've been raised to eternal life through Christ. Amen? That's because of His suffering and death. There's glory in how he accomplished it, and there's glory in what he accomplished. And by the way, I think the climax and the one that carries just profound weight that is just unthinkable and unimaginable is the last one. Look at verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Say it with me. Propitiation. You got it. Propitiation. You think, oh man, those big Bible theology words. Here's all it means. And I'm not trying to minimize its value. Here's what it means. That Jesus, in His suffering and death, was a sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Was a sacrifice that fully satisfied and wholly absorbed every ounce of God's just wrath upon sin. That's a heavy word. If you take any one of those words or phrases out, you're not doing propitiation. It is a penal, substitutionary, satisfying, wrath-averting sacrifice that deals with sin. What that means is, is that because of the death of Jesus and the application of His righteousness, God can look at you and say, not guilty? You're accepted in my presence. Jesus truly paid it all. That's what propitiation means. And propitiation was necessary. The wrath of God had to be absorbed. It had to be satisfied. And the central truth of the gospel is that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for you and me fully. He saved us from our sin Removing any possibility that we would ever have to absorb God's holy wrath against our sin. Christ took it upon His shoulders in the cross. In His suffering. In His death. Such a glory in what He has accomplished. Do you feel overwhelmed today? Good. You should. But in a good way. You should feel the weight of glory that is found exclusively in the person of Jesus. That is why we are to never turn away from the great salvation that He has offered us. Have you been turning away from Christ? Have you been distracted and divided in your attention? Has your search for glory led you down competing paths to find it somewhere else? We all have a glory hunger. We all want to be and know that which is great. But there is only one person in place to find it. It is the one who is crowned with glory. The one whose suffering and death paved a way for you to be in glory and it's Jesus. Turn your attention to Jesus. Keep your attention on Jesus, no matter how hard it gets. And by the way, when the going gets tough, know this, you have a merciful and faithful high priest who does not help angels, but he helps the children of God, because he suffered through temptation, just like we do. What we feel, that pull away from the ways of God, that That temptation to find joy in the glory of man in this world. Jesus felt all of that. And He is present to help you every step of the way in your struggle against sin. But keep your focus on Him. Don't lose sight of His glory. Because Jesus' glory is incomparable. It's undiminishable based on who He is how He's accomplished our salvation and what He's accomplished for us in this salvation. Turn, I plead with you to turn to Christ. Keep your focus on Christ. If you need help with that, see an elder today. Jeremy in the back, he's drumming. Tim is up front here myself. We want to help your attention stay on Christ. If you're feeling the pressure and weight and the struggle of remaining faithful to God, seek us out. We want to help you in that. Jesus' glory is incomparable. It's undiminishable. Thus, our attention should solely And holy be upon Him. Amen? Let's pray. Thoughtful Lord of John chapter 12. Which gives us insight into human nature. People saw who Jesus was. They saw His glory. But for fear of being put out of the synagogue, fear of the Pharisees, they didn't make it known. And John tells us the reason they did that is because they loved the glory that comes from man more more than the glory that comes from God we confess to you today that we love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And yet we come face to face with Christ today and in this Hebrew series that there is no glory like Christ's. We pray that you would help us see it, help us trust in it, help us remain faithful in our obedience and in our following of the one most glorious, namely Christ Jesus.